This is a sermon podcast of the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcbalone.org. Take our Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. Um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we will be. And um, while you're turning there, I, I'm going to... Um, read from um, a book called Relationships, A Mess Worth Making, written by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp. And I'm going to read some selections from the beginning of, of one of their chapters. And as I read these portions here, I wonder if you could kind of resonate with uh, some of these quotations. I had such high hopes for our relation or for our friendship. What went wrong? I thought I had finally found someone that I could trust. Or... I can't believe you're questioning my integrity after all the things I have done for you. It's not like I am the only one who has failed in this relationship. You've hurt me too. Or, you see, this is what we always do. I come to you and you turn the table on me. You're so good at making other people feel guilty for your failures. The problem with you is that you are much better at recognizing other people's faults than you are your own. You don't have a clue how much you've hurt me. You've betrayed our trust when you told them what I said. And why does it always go here? We can't even have a discussion about the weather without it ending in an accusation. Have you ever had a relationship where something like that has been said? I think if you've been living long enough and if you've been inhaling air into your lungs and exhaling, you know, I'm sure you've had a friendship or a relationship that something like that could have been said. Paul and uh, uh, Paul, Paul Tripp and Tim Lane further go on to write, they, they made this observation. They said, it is clear that no relationship ever delivers what you dreamt it could. Your fantasy collides with reality and reality bites. They further write, the fatal flaw of human wisdom is that it promises that you can change your relationship without needing to change yourself. Now, that's like a good tweetable thing right there. So you need to remember that one. Let me read it again. The fatal flaw of human wisdom is that it promises that you can change your relationships without needing to change yourself, and how true that is. The church at Corinth was, I believe, and is, as far as the scriptures are concerned, maybe the best and primary example of these types of issues that come up in relationships. The reality of relationships then is the same reality now, but at least in Corinth, we have a written documentation of how those relationships collided in church. It's kind of important to understand. They were colliding even within the church. Now, I'm not going to say that what we're going to be reading and studying is going to be prescriptive, although there will be some prescriptions for our behavior but what we're going to see in the book of 1 Corinthians is something that is more descriptive. We will see demonstrated for us that we walk through the same challenges and we still navigate some of the same issues in our relationships that were done in the first century of Asia Minor. In other words, over a couple of millennia of generations, human behavior is quite the same. 
We are very, very similar, more similar than dissimilar than those who comprise of this church. And we're going to begin this Sunday. We're going to begin journeying through this book of 1 Corinthians. And the title of the study, if I could call it anything, of our journey through 1 Corinthians, is going to be called Saints Together. Because that's exactly what was happening. These were a bunch of saints. This was the church. They were living life together. And they had issues that they had to work through. And I felt like this was, and I had, and I had prayed about this many, many months ago, as I normally play my, my sermons six to eight months at least, many times a year in advance. And I knew that this was going to be a great way to kind of dovetail out of our series of the Ten Commandments where we learned two main things. We learned in the, of one of the two things that we've learned in, in, in our study of, uh, of the Ten Commandments, that we have a priority to maintain a relationship with God, and that relationship has some values to it. There are some core, core realities that we've got to remember. You know, we speak the name of, of the Lord properly. We don't, have, we don't let Him compete with other idols in our life. In other words, we don't worship other stuff. And, and we remember that there is a special sanctified day that He has asked us to come together and to worship, stuff like that. But after that, the second thing is everything about that relationship with Him transverses into our relationships with one another. That's why the whole thing about thou shalt not murder and, and steal and, and commit adultery and, and bear false witness and, and covet, that's why all of those things are so important. And you don't get those right unless you get the first part of the Ten Commandments right. I'm not going to treat you well at all if I don't have a good relationship with God. But when those, th- when those two things are done, or at least attempted, you will probably get what's happening here in the church at Corinth. They had the same Ten Commandments we did. And sometimes it doesn't always work out. And I want us to just kind of understand something right now about who we are. We are not a perfect church. We never will be. You do not have a perfect pastor, and you've never had one. You just don't. I am who I am. You are who you are. And we're all in the same boat together. At best, we are just sinners in the hands of an angry God, but through the blood of Jesus, His Son, we have been redeemed. That's all that we are. And we don't always get it right. But we're going to learn some really cool lessons as we journey through this book together. We're just going to look at 1 Corinthians. I know that there's a 2 Corinthians, but there's kind of a different motive going on with that letter. But this letter right here is, is all about how we just get along. It's about how we just live life together and, and what do we do during the rough spots. Well, let's go ahead and, and read together. If you follow along with me in your Bibles, let's stand together and, and uh, let's honor the reading of, of God's Word. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. There's your, there's your theme right there. Saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, uh, as we kind of just get started here, we don't, you know, we're just kind of scratching the surface. We're kind of learning about who Corinth, this whole city, this church, and what's going on there. 
the Father, just in these couple few verses, um, we find some powerful things that, that we need to focus on and should focus on. If we want to improve our relationships with one another, if we want this church to be attractive to a lost and dying world, Father, let us uh, examine these words carefully and may they challenge and speak to our hearts. Father, bless the reading of your word. And Father, may you bless this sermon as it's been prepared. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let's, you can be seated. So there, there are three words. Very quickly, I'm gonna kind of outline them for you and, and, and share with you why these, there's three particular words that are so important. But then I'm gonna kind of transition into a history lesson and a geography lesson because we got to know a little bit about Corinth and why this letter is so important and, and why it really speaks to us the way that it does. The first word I want you to understand is the word church. It's mentioned here in the text. Verse 2, the church of God. Now, this was a church, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians before, and you're going to journey it with, with, with you know, all those here together, you're going to learn very quickly this church was messed up. I mean, this church, we use it in, in popular terms, this church was jacked up. I mean, these people were walking through some pretty serious things. And I mean, they, they acted nuts sometimes. Paul said, though, you got issues. You are still the church. And this isn't really the point in my sermon, but please hear me out on this. I know we don't always get it right. I know that sometimes we don't really make the best decisions. Sometimes we don't have the finances that we wish we could have, and we don't do all the mission trips we wish we could do. And not everybody's here on Sunday morning or Sunday night or whatever, but listen, we are still the church. And if we forget our identity, every relationship you'll ever cultivate is going to be messed up. Paul, I believe, reminded them fresh out of the gate, listen, it doesn't matter what anybody else calls you, Let's remind ourselves who you really are to the church. And it grieves me that, that it's, it's everywhere, and it's, and it's an epidemic. People are just not here like they used to be. Um, one study found out, why has there been a decline in church attendance? And, and one of the key things, and it's never really happened before, but even regular attenders are just becoming more irregular now. That's one of the big key considerations in, in decline in worship attendance. In other words, you'll be here maybe two or three Sundays out of the month and just skip some time or whatever, or just come maybe once every three Sundays or something like that. We're seeing a decline. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Um, that's, it's not always an evil thing. It's just a thing that we're seeing right now. But also people running from problems. Running from problems. Church members are doing it, and pastors are doing it. Do you know the average tenure of a Southern Baptist pastor, do you know how, do you know how long it is? Less than three years. Why? They're going to run from one church and go to where they think the grass is greener. You do it. You have some hiccup with the way church is going or, or whatever. It's not, you know being done the way you think it ought to be handled, and, and you find another place to go. And you'll stay there until something rubs you the wrong way then. And that pastor will stay at another church until something rubs him the wrong way then. And this church, if, if, this, if there was a church that had problems, this place was it. 
If anybody had a reason to go somewhere else, but here's the thing, they had nowhere else to go. There wasn't a church on every street corner. But here's the second word. This church said, uh, church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified. Oh my goodness. I, I often wondered, is this word really supposed to be in here? Because this was a church that wasn't acting sanctified at all. Sanctified means, and, and, and you may have kind of an understanding of what, what sanctified means, it means you've been set apart and that you're growing closer and closer to God every day. Well, that's, that's very true. But there's two things we got, must understand about the word sanctified in its theological implication. Number one is that it represents something positional. When you accept Jesus Christ, you are automatically sanctified in, this, in the aspect that you are now set apart. God has redeemed you. He's kind of, t- he brought my feet out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay, like the old hymns. That's, that's positional sanctification. I am now in Christ Jesus. So my position has changed, okay? All right, so it's positional. But second, that same word also means something that is experiential. It means that every single day as I live, God is cleansing me from sin through a persistent and a progressive work of the Holy Spirit. Maybe the least taught about and least understood person of the Trinity, of the Godhead, is the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Trust me when I say you don't see Him here but you can feel him. And he is at work. He is alive. And just so you'll know the Holy Spirit, a little bit more about him, he is co-eternal with the Father, God the Father and God the Son, okay, shares an equal power, has always been, and he is the presence of God right here. Maybe, I think just maybe on the horizon, we ought to just examine the work of the Holy Spirit a little bit more. We as Southern Baptists get kind of afraid of the Holy Spirit sometimes, and we see some hands raised up, and we're like, dude, we, hey, you know, church of God, that, that's, that's for the church down the street, not us. But it's okay. I think it's okay for the Holy Spirit to just, you know, get turned loose up in here every once in a while. It'll be all right. You'll live through it, I promise you. And even if you don't, if you're in Jesus, you'll be better off anyway. So, hey, we're all right. But he makes sure that this church knew that they were the church, and they were, set, they were set apart. They were different. Even with all their problems, they were so different. And then number three, together. Saints together. This was a unifying statement. It means that everyone was in the same boat. No one was perfect, and everyone was there that was, they were somewhere on that sanctifying work, on that scale. They were kind of just somewhere, you know, uh, relative to the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Some of you are more mature than others. Some of you are not, some of you have been following the Lord for a long, long time, others not so much. Some of you know a whole lot about the Bible, others not so much, but listen, it doesn't matter. There are no prequalifications to be the church other than you're born again, and you're put together, and God put us together for a reason. Why is this important? Well, here's your history lesson. Why is this so important that they understood this? First of all, the city of Corinth was about 700,000 people. I don't know about the city of Jacksonville, but I don't know if that's even close to the city of Jacksonville population, but you kind of, 700,000 is a lot of people, right? And this was the only game in town. You didn't have First Baptist Church and, and XYZ Methodist Church. That wasn't there. 
The only thing you had was the church at Corinth. That's why it was called, to the church at Corinth. It was it. Now, what's the big deal about Corinth? Culturally speaking, they were um, uh, different. Special, but not in a good way. Two reasons. Number one, uh, this, this, this whole uh, city sat upon a, a special place. It was in a, uh, and I got a picture of it. Uh, yeah, okay, you see this, this map here, and, and if you back out of the map, you'll see that, like, okay, you see the, 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 the picture up in the left-hand part there? Just to the left would be Italy. And so the water that you see down in the bottom uh, of that little inset picture, that would be the Mediterranean Sea. And so you kind of zoom in, you see Corinth. So there's kind of an isthmus there. It's where the land kind of came together, and there were two uh, different gulfs. You had the Gulf of Corinth and the Saronic Gulf in between. So Corinth was actually a naval city, and here's why. They had an industry there where they would pick up the boats that would come from one side of the gulf and want to go to the other side without having to sail all the way around and risk, you know, shipwreck, bad storms, all that stuff. They said, let's just pick it up and slide it over and then set it back down. So this was a sailor city. And so, you know, if, you were, if we were working on a crew of a ship, we would, you know, have a few days off. So we're sailors, so we're just going to be in town, and we're going to do what sailors do. And then the industry was, the, these companies would pick up the ship, transverse it across this, uh, this little narrow strip of land, and then sit it back down, and then get it ready for us to sail again. So in the meantime, we are off the boat, and we are going to do what sailors do. We're going to party. We're going to have fun. Okay? And, and we're going to talk like sailors, too. And I've often wondered, do sailors know that they talk like sailors? I mean, who do they compare their speech with? You know what I'm saying? I, I've, always, I've just wondered that, always wondered that. And, and so there was a distinct behavior kind of, you know, that, that was going on there. As a matter of fact, it became culturally known that if you were acting really bad, in other words, Corinth was a place where you lost all your morals, you just kind of, you know, checked them at the door, and we're going in to have fun. If you were known as that kind of person and you lived anywhere else, here's what they called you. Corinthians, oh my. It means you're acting like a Corinthian. <laughs> I mean, it was, and that was not a term of endearment. It meant they were calling you out. So you had the, the shipping thing going on, okay? As a matter of fact, what, there's another picture I want to show you. Okay, you see this body of water right here? This is, this is a, a channel that was built where they used to take those boats across. Okay? It, it, was, it, was, uh, it was this canal. It was a, it's called a Corinthian, the Corinthian Canal. They started working on this in 7th century B.C. You know when they finished it? 1893. If you ever, if you ever watched the, the Great American Race, it used to be a reality show where these people used to go all over the globe. There was an episode where you had to bungee jump from that bridge that you kind of see in, in, the, in the distance there. It was, a, it, was, it was just this little canal here. And so now you can just kind of sail through it rather than, it's kind of like the Panama Canal type thing. Okay? So you had that going on. Here's a second big thing. Corinth had a humongous temple in the city. And the temple was dedicated to Aphrodite. If you know anything about Greek culture, Aphrodite is the Greek goddess for love and sex. In this temple, 
were 1,000 house prostitutes. Now you get a glimpse as to the nature and the scope of this city. Full of sailors, full of slavery of all kinds, and worship to over a thousand prostitutes. And this is a place that God sent the Apostle Paul to plant a church. I don't know about you. I think it's a good place to plant a church. It's the place that needed the gospel. So there was a great struggle. Now, this is, this is going to be like maybe the most important part of my sermon here, and I want you to understand this. Living in Corinth as a believer was difficult. It was very challenging. Because not only were you saved out of that. Think about it. You're, think about a church where it's full of slaves, sailors, and prostitutes. And then sprinkle in businessmen and regular people, whatever. You can see the trouble. There was going to be a discipleship issue, to say the least. And it was difficult to be a believer. Maybe in high school you read the work of Homer uh, called The Odyssey or maybe The Iliad. Show of hands, how many of you ever read The Iliad or The Odyssey? Okay, so some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a picture, and it's up here right now, and this picture is a depiction from the book The Odyssey, and it perfectly illustrates what's happening with life in Corinth. This guy right here is Ulysses, and Ulysses is tied up to the mast of this ship. You can see that, right? And he's got the sailors there rowing, and maybe, I don't know how well you can make it out, but around him are these bird-looking things, but they're female, and they got these, you know, the, the human heads, and they're the sirens, okay? And when they sing, it's very alluring. But when you give in to that siren song, it always led to destruction. The problem is people love to hear it. And it was a strange and weird dichotomy. It was a struggle for folks to live in a city where there was so much, quote-unquote, fun that siren song. And here's what Ulysses did. He said, I, I love to hear the siren song, but I know it would be for my destruction. So sailors plug wax in your ears, and they did. Tie me to the mast, and they did. Don't let me escape, because I don't want to give in, but I love to hear their song. That was life in Corinth. But can I say also, that's our life too. Because as soon as we walk out of these doors, we will hear the siren songs of many temptations. And deep down inside, we know that they're wrong. We know that we're going to get hurt. We know that, that, it, that it will be no good for us in our walk with God. And we are, we're kind of like Ulysses. God, just tie us up. I love to hear the music, but I don't want to, you know, I don't want to pay the piper. And that was a real struggle. Maybe this morning, that's going to be your real struggle. There's a siren song being sung in your life, and you love to lis listen to its noise. But every time you follow that song, it's going to lead to destruction, and it does lead to destruction. And you wind up getting hurt at, as a result. And so I want us to understand that the Corinthians were just like us. They were very real people. They had very real issues, but they were still the church. 
they were still called out by God, and they're struggling and learning as best as they can and growing closer with the Lord, but they were doing it together. That was Corinth. And so what I want to leave you here th this morning, I'm going to spend just a few minutes, but, but I just want you to get it here. I'm going to share with you three reasons why the gospel must be the foundation of every single relationship you have. Because that's exactly what Paul is kind of opening up with. He's making it clear that the gospel is to be the core, center, and foundation of all of your relationships. Because when it is, you probably won't have the issues. As a matter of fact, you won't, you won't have the frequency or severity of the issues in your earthly relationship. So here's the first thing I want you to listen to, and here's what I want you to understand. Number one, you need to realize if you want a, 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 a gospel um, a, a, you know, foundation to you, all of your relationships, you must remember you cannot escape whose you are with a capital W, little h-o-s-e. You cannot escape whose you are. Paul said, you are the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place, in other words, all the other churches are called just like you. So we can think that, oh, I, you know what, I, man, I, I hear what happened over at XYZ church or what's happened down the road at this church or whatever. Listen, don't compare. It'll, listen, that, pastors do this all the time. We're notorious for comparing our ministries to other people. And I've learned very quickly, the happiest I've ever been is looking at what God is doing right here in the middle of us. And you need to look at what's happening in the middle of your own life. Think about the joy. Think about all the cool things that God is and, and, is, and is doing right now in your life. Listen, right now, in Christ Jesus, if you're called apart, you cannot escape whose you are. Your identity is your foundation. Today, matter of fact, in just a little while, Jacksonville Jaguars, they're up north right now, and they're visiting the New England Patriots. Now, I want you to imagine, as, as it were, one of the Jacksonville players, just kind of pick, maybe if you're a Jacksonville fan, I don't know if you are, just kind of pick like one of your favorite guys, you know, Imagine that they're in the locker room and they're getting ready and all the guys are kind of getting psyched up and they're going to go out there and give it their best. And this one player, he kind of slips out. He says, ah, I had enough of this. And somehow by some miracle, whatever, he slips into the Patriots locker room and he starts getting suited up for the game. He puts on all the equipment, the pads and whatnot, and he slips on the jersey. He walks back out, and one of his teammates catches him. Imagine that scene. Do, do you think that that Jacksonville player, seeing his teammate in the opposing, do you think, do you think he maybe think, I'm about to give this dude a beat down, right? Why? He's forgotten who he is. Now, now, hang with me here. Underneath the jersey, they're all the same. Same pads, same equipment. They're all the same. They're athletes. But they are owned by an organization, by a particular team in the league 
They're contracted to them. They belong somewhere. Guys, we belong to Christ Jesus. And our belonging shapes everything I say and do. Let me kind of step on your toes here and say this. Your faith is not an accessory to your life. It is the core of your life. It tells you what to do, where to go, and what to say, and how to say it. It is your core. You don't just show up to church. We don't have the right, church, to show up and do what we want to when we want to. When Christ is our Lord and Savior, we are compelled because we belong to somebody. Matter of fact, Paul is going to talk about later on in this same letter that you have been bought with a price. You are not your own. You do not have the right over... Listen, that whole stuff we see in the news over abortion, it's my body, whatever. No, you are not your own. You don't have the right. Remember whose you are. Remember that God owns you. That controls and is the foundation of every one of our relationships. Number two, we have a deep purpose for our relationships. We have a very deep purpose for our relationships. It is not Listen, it's, it's not to see how many Twitter followers we can have or Instagram followers. Our life is not to, see, you know, it, it's not, you know, to figure out how we can climb that ladder as quickly as we can. If you are Jesus's, if you are born again, you have but one purpose for all of your relationships. Do you know what that is? The furtherance of the gospel. That's it. It's the furtherance of the gospel. In our conversations, we, listen, how many times did Paul talk about in our speech, it needs to be flavored and, and, and it needs to have certain content in it because we want to be, listen, we want to be challenging to one another, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. He said to the Ephesians, you need to be doing this in, in, your, in your songs, in your, your hymns, in your spiritual songs. You lift one another up. Everything that is at the core of who I am and all of my relationships, it ought to be to bring someone else closer to Jesus than what they are right now. And it's impacted me because this past week I got to thinking as, as I was writing this out, you know, God, when I lead the presence of other people, are they closer to Jesus? By the time I left, right? Or are they further away because of something I did or said? Jesus made it quite clear in his Gospels about the purpose of the church. As a matter of fact, the church hadn't even been formed yet, right? Book of Acts, it hadn't even started. But Jesus used the word church three times in the Gospel of Matthew. In, in Matthew chapter 16, he was, uh, he, he was assuring Peter upon his confession of who Jesus was, that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. And upon this confession, he's going to build his what? Church. That was the first time his disciples had ever heard that term. But then it came along a few chapters later in Matthew 18. 
in that well-known text about church discipline, how we, listen, is how we relate to one another when we're in sin and how we help one another and build one another up to a life of repentance and forgiveness. And what did he say? You remember there were certain levels when you, if you've been offended, you, you maybe get at that person privately. If they don't listen to you, then you, you, you bring a group of trusted individuals with you. If they don't listen, and it goes on. And then if, if they're still not repenting, tell it to the church. In other words, we got to get, listen, we're like all hands on deck. Have you ever noticed, and, and I don't know why people are afraid of that, but I know that like when, when you think about, uh, and I've talked to Navy people, and, and, they've, and they you know, kind of uh, resonate this and, and kind of affirm what I'm saying here. You got someone who goes overboard. The entire ship has one focus, to get that person out of the water. That's why Jesus said, you tell it to the church, because if they're not going to listen to one or listen to three, you better get all hands on deck to rescue that person and help them to see what's happening in their life. And then in Matthew 28, what did he say? As disciples, we're to go, therefore, into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching them and baptizing them. Our mandate as a church is all about the world. It's all about other people. It is not about us. This worship service is not about you. This worship service is not about me. It's not even about our music. It is not about anything but Christ Jesus himself being exalted and lifted up. That's what worship is for. Listen, our relationships prove to the world that Jesus really is who he says he is. Have you ever thought about that? Our relationships prove to the world that Jesus really is who he says he is. And then he goes on in the Gospel of, of John in chapter 13. A new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. By this, what is this? Your love for one another. By this love for one another, all men will know that you are Christians. Did I say that scripture right? No, I did not. I did not get it right. He says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. When you walk out this door, you're going to see framed some very important statements to the life of this church that we are called, and for his glory, we are called to be disciples making other disciples. Did you know that the word Christian was used no less than three times? And in each circumstance, it was a reference from the outsiders to us. In other words, it was the world's term for who we are. It was not our term for ourselves. Maybe stepping on some toes, maybe just kind of getting a little bit deep here, maybe just sharing a little bit of my convictions. I don't think this world needs another Christian. We need another disciple. We need people who are willing to just kind of abandon the labels and just say, if there's one person I'm going to identify with, I'm going to identify with Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus' teachings. I'm going to follow his words. I will be his disciple. Would you come and follow with me as I follow him? The word Christian now is nothing but a, 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 an adjective. Christian music, Christian t-shirts, Christian books, Christian this, Christian that. It's kind of lost its meaning, don't you say, when you say? 
The purpose for our relationships is for the furtherance of the gospel that the cross becomes more and more embedded into your life if you're already a follower of Jesus. But if you're not, then my, my purpose in this relationship is to get you to the point where you can accept Jesus, to live a life before you and just be a servant to you. And when that time comes, God will articulate through me through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say the right words that, Lord willing, it would lead to an affirmation of the faith and receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So not only should we not forget whose we are, not only do we have a deep purpose for our relationship, but finally, the world would rather watch before they hear our... Thank you for listening to this podcast from the First Baptist Church of Boulogne in Hilliard, Florida. For more information, please visit www.fbcboulogne.org.